And good afternoon. Welcome. This is the local coronavirus update. Back again. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. So, um... We were just talking about the state of the pandemic here in Mendocino County, and you're going to give a full update, but I just want to preface this by saying things are not the same. So even though we're going to be talking and using words that are like what we've been saying for the last year and a half, things are different. Things are way worse than they've ever been, not to get go into hair on fire, but it's different, right? What's going on? Well, it's it's surging, uh, no doubt about it. Um, you know, the last week, last 10 days has been fairly harrowing as a medical provider in the county. Uh, we had no bed capacity really in Northern California, despite what the state figures reflected, uh, which meant that we didn't really have transfer capabilities for any patient needing a higher level of care because none of the receiving hospitals were able to receive patients. And meanwhile, we're awash in COVID. Uh, There have been consistently around 20 patients, 20 to 25 patients hospitalized in this small county, um, hospitalized with COVID for the last uh, 10 days or so. Uh, And so we're seeing very high volumes in the ERs um, driven by COVID. Um, Some fraction need to be hospitalized. Some fraction needs ICU level of care. And we don't have the capacity to decompress our local hospitals um, because there aren't receiving hospitals with available beds and expertise to manage this. So it's it's pretty bad. The, The caveat or the asterisk is that things, in my sense, have begun to ease over the course of the last several days. Um, the numbers that we were seeing, that I was seeing uh, sort of middle of last week um, weren't really present yesterday and talking to other providers, at least in the Ukiah Hospital, uh, things are starting to ease and I think that's going to be reflected in the county data over the next few days. The curve, while quite high, is flattening and I think we're going to start to see a downturn, I hope, um, in as this week unfolds. Okay, so How many beds are there available in the hospital where you work? Our hospitals have generally been full, so no beds. Um, and and that's know, either in general, whatever you call med surge, med and surge, in ICU, ICU um, or the COVID unit. Um, that has eased over the weekend. So yesterday, for example, we had bed capacity again, which was remarkable. I hadn't really seen that um, t- in a in a consistent basis on a consistent basis for the previous week. So, and one of the fears you've had from the beginning of the pandemic is that we would get so inundated at the hospital that the healthcare system in the county would start to collapse. Did we get anywhere close to no, that? No, we didn't get we didn't get to that point, but we got to the point where things were strained, right? So, you know, I, I did a shift um, about a week ago at this point where I was managing multiple ICU patients in the ER um, in addition to Um, patients coming in through the front door because the ICUs were full and we had nowhere to transfer them. So they had to stay in the in the emergency room and receive, you know, ICU level care, which we deliver in the ER, but we don't typically like to deliver it for 12 or 18 hours on the same patient or 60 hours, which is what we did in more than one occasion. And you are yourself diagnosing numbers of 
COVID cases? Lots of COVID. Lots of COVID. Um, actually, I worked a shift yesterday, and remarkably, I didn't see, I didn't diagnose somebody, newly diagnose somebody with COVID for the entire shift, which hasn't happened for me personally for a couple months now, actually, really ever since Delta arrived. But last Wednesday and Thursday, I think each of those days I diagnosed, newly diagnosed um, over 10 people, um, and that's just one provider and one ER. Each shift? Yeah. Not no, so Combined. the lab was literally calling me to the phone every 30 or 45 minutes with another panic value, and the panic value every time was a positive COVID test. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. Lots of COVID. It's, we are at a very, very sketchy place with the COVID pandemic. Well, we are. The Delta variant. Yes, I mean, it's, it's bad, to be sure. It is mostly a pandemic right now of the unvaccinated, um, which, you know, is, is just the reality that we're dealing with. And our county vaccination rate is pretty good. It's up around 65%, I believe, um, probably higher if you include the half-vaxxed uh, population. Um, but... There are still there are still a lot of people who are not vaccinated, um, and Delta is clearly just jumping um, freely amongst the unvaccinated, and we're seeing that in patients, you know, coming into the ER, some symptomatic, some acutely ill, and some on the verge of death, unfortunately. And we have had several deaths in the last two weeks as well, right? We've had three um, since last Monday's show, um, at least per the county dashboard metrics. I mean, they don't update it over the weekend. So the data, the county data that's released for public consumption is always three days stale by the time we do our Monday afternoon show. Um, but we are now, to run the numbers, we're up to 57 deaths. I think last Monday we were still at 54. Mm-hmm, that's right. Our case count is up to 5,600, which by my numbers is about 800 higher than we were last week, if you can imagine that. Um, Sounds about right, though. Yeah, so in our hospitalization, we have 25 hospitalized and six in ICUs. I think that's going to be a little bit lower when they refresh that data this afternoon. Um, Over 500 people with COVID in isolation in this county right now. Um, we really don't know how many people are, are supposed to be in quarantine because the county's not tracking that. Um, there's really not contact tracing in any operational way any longer. Uh-huh. So it's it's bad. It's surging. And what I think we're beginning to see, and this is kind of what we've seen in other jurisdictions where Delta has arrived before here, um, it's a sharp short painful peak and then it falls off pretty quickly as delta burns through the the naive unvaccinated vulnerable population mm-hmm. unfortunately burning through looks like what you've just it described. looks like a fire yes yeah. a very painful fire very. Yes. um a couple of things it's younger people getting sick are you seeing that in the ice in the er we are i mean certainly seeing a lot of younger people who are presenting um with symptomatic COVID. Um, Most of those younger people can go home. We've seen more than a few people, um, you know, 60 and under requiring hospitalization and requiring ICU level of care. A couple of the deaths, a couple of the recent deaths have been, you know, relatively young. Um, Let's just say not old enough to collect social security. Um, So, you know, relatively young um, and actually relatively healthy and just, you know, had the bad luck to get severe COVID. Really? So the last, I know that the death before last was a 49 year old man from ukiah that's Mm. about what they tell us but so this person wasn't ill in other ways i don't want to go into any particular case it's a small enough community but we're seeing you know people who require oxygen and feel like they are dying who really don't have significant risk factors other than you know the decision to forego the vaccine 
Right. And so another kind of headline that I've seen in the last couple of days is that uh, people who uh, we have all these new mandates for different types of workers, teachers and healthcare workers. And it seems like we have a situation in some hospitals where um, healthcare workers are going to opt to get fired rather than get the vaccine. Yeah. So the Adventist system and I think California hospital system in general is requiring full vaccination by September 30th um, if you want to continue to work. Um, They had briefly toyed with the idea of a testing option but they have walked away from that and are thus are now requiring full vaccination and I know there are some healthcare workers in the county who are not vaccinated what they're going to do ultimately I don't know you know the Pfizer vaccine just today received full FDA approval, um, and that might be enough to persuade some of the hesitant to get vaccinated. I don't think it's going to prompt a stampede to vaccinate. Um, what it is going to prompt is a is an onslaught of vaccine requirements um, from you know probably primarily Fortune 500 companies or bigger organizations, but hospitals as well certainly. How do you work with a healthcare? colleague who refuses to get vaccinated how do you how do you deal with that well i how do you do you bite your tongue or or what you know i'm pretty busy at work um and sometimes i do (laughs) and sometimes i don't um and i i really actually try to delve into the rationale um for it and you know try to tease out what the basis is for the decision to not get vaccinated and it varies in the same way it varies you know amongst the general population um it always is a little bit more um surprising shall we say when it's coming from somebody who's trained in science and is a healthcare worker a significant fraction of the people simply don't like the government telling them what to do, um, which is fine. But, you know, we work in healthcare, and literally everything I do is mandated or controlled or tracked by the government in some way. And, you know, the hospital, whether it's, you know, a private Adventist hospital or whether it's a federal hospital, survives on federal dollars. So it's that that doesn't quite track since, you know, when I walk into that building, I am going to be delivering health care that has to meet federal standards in a very clear way, pretty much in every single case. So it's interesting. Let's just say that it, it can be it can be a little frustrating at times. Um, but, you know, it's no more frustrating than for for me than it is, I think, for the rest of us who have you know family, friends, neighbors or loved ones who are on the vaccine hesitant side of the spectrum right i guess we're we all we all have folks yeah. who yeah. we just want to talk to about it yeah um so other numbers california is actually flattening um we are one of the lowest rates of climb right now um so we've we're doing quite well we're still adding a fair number of cases um statewide around 12 or 13,000 a day, um, but our rate of climb has completely leveled off. So that's quite good. Mendocino County was one of the worst counties in the state for the last two weeks. Uh, I think it was third or fourth. of. We we were number one on Friday when the public health department gave yeah, their that's briefing. that's the number one. That I, I don't know if we were worse than Del Norte County, actually. I don't think that's correct but they're also the county is also saying that we have vaccine efficacy per their dashboard of 99.619 percent so they have calculated it to the 1000th place what does it mean i have no idea i think it's a made-up number (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> we'll have to get some clarity on that. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know what that is. Is it just like comparing how many people are sick in the hospital or how many positive tests, how many positive cases are of vaccinated and unvaccinated people? I, I don't know what it reflects. I don't know if it reflects mortality, which is impossible to get to a thousandth place when we only have 57 dead in the <laughs> county, or whether it reflects hospitalization rate or whether it reflects, I don't, I don't know. Okay, we'll no. have to dig into that. Yeah. Um, nationally, we're still doing. We we crossed the thousandth, one thousand deaths a day threshold again. So we still are seeing a fair number of deaths. Rate of climb um, is slowing a little bit nationally. Although the the heat map, the national heat map, is gradually making its way north from the south, and will probably reach the uh, midwestern states and uh, sort of the New England states in the next two to three weeks. It won't be as hot because the vaccine rates, you know, are much higher. So Vermont, by example, has a 67% vaccine uptake rate, um, whereas Alabama, my former state, has a 36% vaccine rate. Um, so, you know, basically two to one um, rate of uptake in those two states. Any news about how things are progressing with the third dose? People getting the... So the third dose is now booster? coming... Now um, has been authorized for people who are immune compromised, and I mentioned that last week. Um, the booster um, has not yet gone through FDA emergency use authorization. I, I am of two minds about around the booster. I, I think it is going to offer some additional protection. I think it clouds the picture about urging the incredible importance of people getting vaccinated. Uh, this vaccine in the two-dose and the two-dose uh, formulation that we all currently have, um, or most of us have, um, is still extremely effective even eight or nine months out. It does start to wane maybe a little bit, but that's how immunity works. And it's efficacy at preventing severe illness or death is really extraordinarily high. Yes, there are breakthrough cases. Yes, there are some breakthrough deaths even, but those are very, very rare. Whether they would be forestalled by a booster, probably some small margin, but that needs to be considered in the in the bigger picture of how that's going to cloud um, the importance of the two doses going into everybody. And further, frankly, and, and you know, talk about global equity, and you know, I, it's it's absurd to do so in the context of healthcare. But even even um, taking a very nationalistic perspective, um, we would be better off shipping those third doses uh, worldwide to try to get everybody vaccinated to prevent this pandemic from just dragging over, dragging on and on. You know, worldwide, and you know, the longer it drags on anywhere in the world means the increased chance that it'll come back here. Um, so those are some of the considerations. You know, that being said, when the third dose becomes available for me, am I going to get it? Yes, I will get it because, you know, as I tell my wife, I'm basically bathing in COVID these days. Oh, that's a nice thought since yes. I'm sitting here with you yes. in a room. Nice little, well, you're vaccinated. So, I am. Yeah. I not, am. not to disclose your personal health care information. Uh, it's here. okay. Yeah. I've disclosed. Um, <laughs> I went out to eat this weekend uh -huh. and it was, I almost ran out of the restaurant, but, you know, I was trying to be civilized. Closed closed restaurant mm. um no one in their mask except for me pulling my mask down to take a sip of coffee and then pulling my mask out. and the people who worked there but i thought this is why this is spreading so much yeah. 
it's, yeah, it's it's spreading because we are not doing what we were doing a year ago, um, and it's you know much more contagious, certainly in the indoor setting and possibly even in the outdoor mm-hmm. setting. So, it felt like people weren't getting it. It felt to me like this group of people in this restaurant wouldn't be sitting here behaving this way if they knew what was going on. Although I was sitting there. I think it's important for kids to go back to school, for example. Are there going to be cases of COVID in the classroom? Of course. Are those kids going to get sick from it? Almost certainly not. Not in any significant way. Should every single person, every single person over the age of 12 be vaccinated? Yes. You know, that should be mandatory. That's that's absolutely needs to be insisted upon. Whether that's going to happen, I don't know. Whether we need to be dining indoors or not, uh, you know, I like to dine indoors. I don't like to dine indoors when I feel apprehensive. No. <laughs> and it's not particularly fun with a mask on your face when you're eat, out to eat as well. So, you know, that's just an individual decision, I think, that we can actually punt to the individual rather than make it a, a strict policy decision. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe the omelet just wasn't worth it. Yeah. Well, omelets are good, but it I can was, make those at home. It was good. Yeah, I can make them at home for a few more months, yeah. years decades. All right. Well, this is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. And we do like to open up the phone lines and give you a chance to ask your questions. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. 707-895-2448 if you still have questions. Um, and we will be here until four o'clock. So there's plenty of time for you to get in and uh, get on the air. Um do, do, do. <laughs> Waiting for the phone ring. Ah, there it is. Okay. It doesn't take long. No, I didn't want to start anything yeah. knowing what was about to happen with the phone line. So we'll take our first call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi there. I apologize if you've answered this question before, but um, I have an adult son who thinks he has natural immunity and hasn't gotten the shot. And I'm wondering... Let's just say he's right, for argument's sake. Could he still shed virus that me and my husband could get? I'm sorry, so he already he thinks he had COVID and thus has some degree of natural immunity. Is that is that your question? Uh, yeah, he he thinks either he's naturally immune or that he had a mild case. Sure. So he's not shedding virus any longer, presuming that he's, you know, that that the healthy that no that the COVID illness was remote, which is to say he's recovered from even his very mild asymptomatic case. Now the uh-huh. the possibility of his getting COVID again is real. It would be diminished if he got the booster, or you know if. You could think of it as a booster shot since he thinks he already has some natural immunity, and this would boost his immunity in a way. The clear recommendation is that he should get both of the um, the vaccines. the The problem that we're seeing, though, in terms of healthcare messaging, is that Delta is being spread from people that are fully vaccinated. Now, it doesn't seem to spread as much as amongst the unvaccinated population, but it is certainly spreading from the vaccinated more than some of the original iterations of COVID. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the risk to you, to return to your original question, is can you get COVID from him? 
um, is yes, you could. He could get another asymptomatic infection and transmit it to you. But that could also happen even if he acquiesced to getting um, both of the vaccines. What what we do know quite clearly, um, and you know, this is sort of the, the obvious talking point, is that even though he's already had COVID once, he could get it again, and he could get even severe COVID again. That happens. What we would know, what we know though, is the vaccine prevents severe COVID from occurring in the vast majority of people. So for his own health and, you know, to some extent for your health, he should be vaccinated. Whether he can hear that is another question. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for the call. Good luck. Okay, try back, 707-895-2448. It's 895-2448. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. I have a question about what um, Drew thinks about the county fair in Boonville, the Apple Fair still going on, if it's going to be a super spreader. I'm not going, and I know a ton of people that aren't going, and I feel really bad for the fair because I love it. But yeah. I- I'll take your answer on the air. I called them and told them, and I called the health officers, but I'm just one person. (laughs) Anyway, thank you. Bye. Yeah, so, you know, I think the fair, um, you know, it was canceled last year, and pretty much every livestock event was canceled in the country last year. Things have been um, going on this year, and they have been relatively safe because fairs are generally outdoors. What I frankly think that the county should require, and other counties are doing this, is that any event of that size should require proof of vaccination um, for at least the exhibitors and probably for the attendees. I, you know, I do think, unfortunately, you know, it's going to be a fairly muted event this year. I don't think it needs to be um, canceled. But for the more at-risk cohort amongst us, it's probably a good idea to either stay outdoors at the fair or certainly mask up. Um, you know, there will be a contingent of people who will not be masked, I have no doubt, um, even at the county fair. And it may get crowded at times, although my prediction is it won't, unfortunately, for the fairgrounds. But yeah, it's it's a tough situation. I mean, I I, I wouldn't want to be the fair manager or the the chair of the board of the county fair because, you know, fairs around the country I think are dealing with this type of problem. All right, and is it not clear cut at this point the way the hospitals are because vaccines are so effective? So like you can go to these events if you're vaccinated and and it's not. The kind of risk that it was at the beginning of the Correct. pandemic. Correct. I mean, we're not we're not talking about overwhelming, uh, you know, overwhelming the hospitals and super spreaders. I mean, it's almost an archaic term at this point because there's so much COVID everywhere amongst our community um, that you know I, I see the Kaya Daily Journal publishing the businesses that have COVID in them. Are you kidding me? Every single business has COVID in it. I guarantee you. And any given day there are a handful of people going in and out of Costco who have symptomatic or mildly symptomatic COVID there's just way too much COVID for that not to be occurring on a daily basis so, so you're not alone swimming in COVID we're all swimming it's, in it it's it's a lukewarm bath yes. <laughs> okay let's yeah. take our next call yeah. hello caller you are live on the air hi um my question hello, is you are live on the air. Hi. Hi. 
My question is about um, the safety of um, 12, well, you know, all the way up to um, 21-year-olds that may not be fully developed yet. Um, get, um, getting the vaccine that hasn't been tested for that amount of years. Yeah, so I, what's your specific concern? That hasn't been tested for that amount of years. Yes, yeah, so what's your... Are you there? Caller, if you turn your radio off, you will have a much less confusing time. I just did. Okay, um, great. So um, you, you wanted to know what my concerns, my direct concerns are? Yeah. Um, well, I have grandchildren, right? <laughs> and um, they're all, you know, ha- most of them are under twenty-one. Yeah. So the the vaccine, just to summarize briefly, and this might this might allay your concerns, is obviously new. Um, it relies on a new technology. Now it's new-ish in that it has been studied and developed um, over the last twenty years. So it's it's not like this was sprung on us um, a year and a half ago. But the way it works is it basically self-destructs once you are injected with the with the shot. So it it codes some mRNA, which then your body breaks down within 24 hours and it incorporates it into your own immune um, system response. It's not as though it is injecting particles that stay in your system that could somehow alter your body's function or metabolism or, heaven forbid, your DNA or RNA in any way whatsoever. The, the coating the sort of the strand of active ingredient in these vaccines um, is broken down by your body very quickly after you get the shot and the body learns the template of the virus from that um, strand of mRNA but that doesn't get incorporated in any way whatsoever so there's really not a biologically plausible way that this vaccine is going to have any long-term health effects whatsoever. That's just not plausible biologically. I don't see that happening. I don't predict it will happen. Um, And in general, we haven't seen that happen with any vaccine that's been developed um, using alternative technologies. What we do know is that children get long COVID, um, and we know that the vaccine is highly effective at preventing COVID, um, whether symptomatic or otherwise, and that the likelihood of a child getting long COVID far outweighs um, the the completely theoretical um, or hypothetical or paranoid notion that the vaccine is going to have some sort of long-term health consequence. Okay, well, is this different from other vaccines, say the polio vaccine? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's different. It's very different technology. I mean, it's, and maybe that's, you know, that's perhaps part of the um, vaccine hesitant amongst us. It is cutting edge and remarkable technology that is saving the world, I might add. Um, But it's different from any other vaccine that has ever been rolled out. Um, This is a different and new technology that, a group of scientists identified as being theoretically possible in the late 1990s and have been researching it and developing it in a hypothetical scenario uh, for the last 20 years, and then along comes COVID, and it was a good fit for this type of technology. Okay, well, that, 
uh, answers my, uh, a lot of my questions. So thank you. Sure. I mean, we don't we don't like technology, right? I mean, when cars came out, you know, nobody wanted seat belts. The whole notion was you were going to be thrown clear if you're in a car crash, right? You didn't want this. You didn't want that. We didn't want airbags because they'll break your nose if you hit a fence post. I mean, so every new technology that comes down the pike that is designed to protect our health has been resisted by a substantial fraction, if not majority, of the population. I really can't think of any uh, counterexamples where we've embraced a technology without um, some degree of resistance. And unfortunately, this COVID vaccine is just the latest iteration. Well, thank you for everything you're doing. (laughs) Thanks for the call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hey, um, I don't know if Dr. Drew has uh, been to the CV Star Center, but it's a large indoor pool is what I'm... I know it well, yes. Ah, yes, well, so they opened it up, and uh, friends of mine are swimming there. They say it's not very crowded, but um, my first question is, is, what do you think? Is it safe for vaccinated people to go swim there? And then my second question was about testing, whether you thought it was helpful, useful for people that aren't working in a place where they really need to be tested but are just doing their usual daily activities, shopping and stuff, whether they should be tested once in a while or is that helpful to the general public? I'll, I'll listen on the air. Thanks. Yeah, so I, I think that I, I think that the indoor pool at CB Star, I mean, it's a big sort of indoor atrium type of space. Um, I, I think that's reasonably safe if you're vaccinated. I, I wouldn't want to forego or urge somebody to forego that type of exercise at this point. I would probably have a mask and I'd slip it on when I got out of the pool um, and keep it on, you know, sort of throughout my uh, forays outside of the water. Um, but I think swimming in there, if you're vaccinated, is a reasonably safe thing. You know, presuming that you're not on chemotherapy or at high risk of doing really poorly from COVID. Um, as for testing, you know, testing is always a good idea, honestly. Um, and, you know, whether places of employment should be um requiring testing or providing testing i think is an open question um it's not particularly fun to be tested but it's not as bad um as um as we all think it could be there are also sort of there are now tests that allow just a more anterior swab of the nostril that um, are quite accurate quite good um and those would be a reasonable option they're not super cheap and so for a business that could add up to a fair amount of money pretty quickly if you start to um, pay for employee testing i think you know, in general, most places should just require that its employees be vaccinated if you're in a forward-facing, you know, clientele-facing uh, position. Did you see the story about Abbott Labs having ramped down their yes. their <laughs> testing production and fired 2,000 workers right before the Delta virus uh, hit? Yeah, that was, a, that was a bad decision. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> so they're scrambling to keep up and yeah. produce enough tests. Yeah. This is the local coronavirus update back again here on KZYX as we navigate our way through the surge of the Delta variant. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we are taking your calls about 
COVID and Delta and um, your concerns and vaccination and testing and all of the issues we've been talking about that seem to be right back on the front burner again uh, this August. It really has driven higher rates of testing both in the county um, and statewide and we've seen a substantial surge in testing Um, and now you can buy the -the over-the-counter test kits at any pharmacy. Um, It's the Binax or (laughs) up until recently they might be getting sold out. Um, they were there yesterday or a couple okay. days ago, but you know, but it's you know twenty two dollars for two tests, and you can get tested for free if you want at the Ukiah Fairgrounds. So. That's true. And most healthcare centers around the county also now have um, in in house testing that they can offer um, without without charge. Well, I was expecting as well a commensurate surge in vaccination rates, but uh, I asked about this at the public health briefing on Friday, which by the way, we we aren't airing live, but we are podcasting it on our podcast, the KZYX Local Coronavirus Update podcast. You can hear that there. Um, I asked if there had been a surge in vaccination rates, and we've gone from an average of 88 vaccination shots given per day in the county to 133 which to me does not sound like a surge it seems like we need to get those numbers up yeah it's it's really this is the slow game at this point right the number of people that haven't been vaccinated in this county is still 30,000 plus um you know that's it's probably a little bit less when you take away the 12 and under crowd or the under 12 crowd um but you know, that's still a lot of people, and they haven't been vaccinated for a reason. Um, they are either hard to find or in a, in a population that is, you know, more or less cut off from health care um, or from good news sources um, in some way, or they're in some sort of bad feedback loop about, you know, alternative realities surrounding this vaccine that make them very difficult to persuade to come forward for the vaccine i offer the vaccine we have the vaccine at the hospital and you know one of our screening questions now is have you been vaccinated and for the unvaccinated i always offer the vaccine and occasionally i'll have some uptake but oftentimes it's just no thank you it's tricky, too, because it's a two-shot regimen, so they'd have to come back and get that second shot. Yeah, but it's easy enough now just to schedule it at a local pharmacy. Okay. So you can get the first dose at the hospital, and then they schedule it for three or you four You don't have to come back to the same place, Correct. the same provider, Correct. yada, Correct. yada. Correct. All right, 895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. We'll take our next call. Hey, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I think I have a new question for you. What? Um, as yeah, I think so. Let's see. Um, a zelestine, a nasal spray, is it effective at all in reducing the viral load in the nose? Is there any kind of possible yeah, so, preventative? So that, that's an interesting question. People are looking into that. Um, there are some um, studies, not so much with, and I, I, I don't have my pocket pharmacopoeia in front of me, but I, I think that's Flonase, um, as I recollect, um, which is used for people with allergies. It cuts down the inflammation. If you cut down the inflammation in your, in your sinuses or in your nasal passages, then you may think that it would not require as much of a viral lo- or require more of a viral load to contract COVID. There isn't yet good data to show that that is sufficiently effective. Um, But it's an interesting hypothesis. Uh, There's also a group out of uh, San Francisco and several other um, labs around the country that are looking at other medications that can actually block the binding of the virus in the nasal passages. You know, that research is 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 really intriguing and fascinating and it's it's an interesting way to try to 
stem this pandemic, but I don't think that's going to reach um, any um, rollout in any real time that could be useful. But use use your med if you think okay. it helps. But I, I would not I would not um, use it in a way that would alter your perception of risk because there's just not good data to show that that's sufficiently effective. But there is there is good biologic plausibility for it to perhaps reduce uh, your risk of contracting COVID. But you're right. Thank that, you very much. That Joe. that was a new question. I have not been asked that yet. <laughs> good. Yeah. I thought I'd score on that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Thank, Thank you. you. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for doing the show. It's so informative and helpful. I just wanted to put it in perspective. I had some relatives that were calling in from the Midwest, and they had a Garth Brooks concert there where 750,000 people attended. So they set up vaccine clinics at all the entrances. And how many people do you think got vaccinated at this gigantic concert? Oh, I'll go with, go ahead. What do you think? I was going to guess about 150. Okay, 35 people got vaccinated. (laughs) 35 out of 75,000. 750,000. Goodness gracious. That is a massive concert. I've never heard of a concert that big. Well, the thunder rolls. Garth Brooks, Brooks, a giant concert. So over 40,000 people were unvaccinated at the concert, unmasked. Sure. I, I imagine it's more than that, but yes. Yes. But yeah, no, it's, and that's, you know, I, I think that bespeaks just, I mean, I'm not sure I'd want to get vaccinated on my way in to see a musical concert, but, um, you know, it bespeaks sort of very hardened positions of a significant minority of this country. I mean, if we're talking Alabama has a 36% vaccine rate, that is a lot of people that are not vaccinated. And, you know, that's reflected in the full hospitals that they are experiencing along the Gulf Coast, all along the Gulf Coast right now. Yes. And also on a a personal note, and you don't have to answer this if it's you don't want to, um, as a father and a parent, um, do you feel sort of tied into this school system and policies of vaccine at these districts, or are you taking your own precautions with your family? Well, I think that the policies of the school, I mean, I I think first off, the schools need to be open and remain open. Um, And there needs to be, um, we have required vaccination for kids to attend school for um, a number of years now. And uh, there's good science and good data to um, back that up. And I don't think that COVID uh, should be any exception. The the fly in the ointment, if you will, is that the um, vaccines up until today were still under emergency use authorization. The continued fly is the fact that the Pfizer that is now fully FDA approved is only good for 16 and up. Um, and so that's going to be a minority of uh, students who are eligible for a fully FDA approved vaccine. So schools are trying to figure out how um, to walk this line of requiring something that's not fully FDA approved. Yeah, you know, if 
if my kids were going to public school, um, you know, I would I would have them vaccinated. And frankly, I think that we need to get the vaccine approved for younger children's extremely quickly. I mean, I, I was talking to my wife. I have a 10-year-old, and she, she she's a tall 10-year-old, and I really just want to take her into a vaccine event and get vaccinated because she could pass for 12. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to do that because that would, you know, that would be... That'd be a bad policy. Is it? Would it be illegal? I maybe. I don't know if there's a law. <laughs> Is there a law? I don't think there's a law saying you can't vaccinate children under the age of twelve. And I don't know. That's fascinating. But it does speak. It does speak to the desperation yeah. of protecting our children. Yes, of Definitely. course. And it's it's frustrating that you know there are five of us in our family, and you know it's the ten year old who's at most at most at risk. Really, I mean, fortunately, even with this Delta, which does seem to make kids slightly sicker at a higher or, or sicker at a higher frequency, um, it still doesn't make you know the vast majority of kids very sick at all they bounce right back from covid um but they do act like little spreaders as they do with any virus that they contract yes a good point thank you doctor thank you (laughs) see you later bye-bye bye-bye hello caller you're live on the air oh hi how are you guys doing oh we're just great how are you I'm doing great. This is Alfonso from the uh, deep end. Ah, yes, the fog eater. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't call in about Garth Brooks. That came up while I was hanging on the phone, but I think I just recently read that Garth Brooks was canceling concerts going forward because of the COVID. And and second, that number of 750,000, I think maybe that might be 75,000, seeing as the Oakland Coliseum holds around 60,000. I was at Altamont, and that was 250,000, so I think it was 75. But anyway, why I called in was uh, I wanted to postulate a really radical idea, being a very conservative person fiscally. But then again, I'm very socially responsible, and I think you're the great guy to answer this, Dr. Colfax, because you're not only a physician but a lawyer. And uh, and this is the question and the thought that I had this week because of the COVID and the spread, and I think more and more companies are going to start requiring vaccinations, and the federal governments are going to require them with their workers. And... Uh, I see the insurance companies as profit makers rather than health care givers. But I was thinking if, oh, this is terrible, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> Go for it, Alfonso. I'm listening. Okay. Yep. It's let a long people, preamble. I agree with everything you've said so far. Go ahead. Let, let them rot in the gutter. In gutter. But no, I remember, uh, yeah, this, this cook guy was over in China in, in, in the early pandemic stages in like November, December, saying people were dying on the streets in Wuhan and, and emailed this to a local talk show host out of San Francisco. But, you know, I was thinking if these insurance companies... Boy, am I going to say this? You're not going to say it, Alfonso. No. <laughs> care in the hospital, if they did not have a vaccine, but they would treat people that would have a breakthrough case of COVID. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, maybe the insurance companies to increase their bottom line 
could help us all in a health manner by starting to say, well, we're going to deny treatment to people that have not had the vaccine. And with that said, what do you think? I know it's a terrible thought. Yeah, so it's a thought that I think a lot of people have floated. but it's it's not going to go anywhere. We're not going to deny health care to anybody yeah. uh, for any reason. What is yeah. going to happen, and I think this will happen pretty quickly, is that um, insurers, to protect their bottom line, because they really are businesses and they are not in the health care delivery business, um, are going to require proof of vaccination. And if you can't provide proof of vaccination, then your rates are going to go up. But you're not going to be denied care or coverage when you present to a hospital uh, with um, unvaccinated symptomatic COVID requiring medical attention. That's just not going to happen. You know, I, you know, as an ER doctor, I, I specialize um, in dealing with everything that comes in the door. And a significant minority, if not the majority on weekend nights, is driven by um, choices that people have made or uh, circumstances that people have encountered that lead to bad outcomes. And whether that's driving while intoxicated um, or, you know, going to McDonald's every day for 300 you know days in a row and having a heart attack, these are frequently self-inflicted conditions. Um, and it's not like I deny coverage to, you know, the McDonald's um, consumer who has uncontrolled diabetes. Uh, that's that's part of what we do as a society is we take all comers, obviously. But it is frustrating, right? I mean, we're seeing, you know, I'm seeing patients who are sitting in my ER that need to be in an intensive care unit, and they are truly sitting in my ER because of the unvaccinated population among us right now. That is what's filling up our very limited hospital, you know, excess hospital capacity. And so it's affecting all of us in a very significant way. And so I think your suggestion doesn't come from malice, but comes from frustration. Um, and we all and, and we all feel that at this point in time. But you know, it's also easy to get frustrated with a lot of other things that you know we do to one another or to ourselves in this society. It's just that this is COVID, and this is what we've been talking about for a year and a half. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you, Alfonso. I appreciate comes it. from a doctor who who's doing what he should do in the Hippocratic Oath. Okay, I'll get off. Yeah, right. Oh, one one thing. Uh, last week I called right at the end, of the, but you know mentioned the seatbelt thing, and I remember standing in front of a view box in a hospital with a neurosurgeon who I used to work with on a daily basis, and he was talking about patients that came in with brain injuries and. This was before we had the shoulder straps. I remember Dr. Richardson, he taught, he taught medical down at Emory University after he got out of the Air Force, but he used to say, I wish that they would get those shoulder straps because people take the injury to the skull when they hit the dash, but we eventually got shoulder straps, and maybe in some way we're going to eventually get those shoulder straps for the COVID vaccine. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And you guys carry on. We love you. We're doing <laughs> you're doing a great show and a good help. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Thanks so much. This is eight nine five two four four eight. It's the local coronavirus update. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. Um, I have a question. I had a dizzy spell today and 
apparently that's one of the signs. But other than that, I feel perfectly fine. At what point should somebody consider going to get a test? Well, I I think it's fine to get tested, whether you're symptomatic or not, Um, whether you just want to be tested to help the county track COVID um, or whether you're tested because you have some sort of very mild event. Um, Testing is always a good idea. Let me just preface any further um, element of my answer with that statement. I also think um, if, you know, if you had a dizzy spell and you're concerned that it may have been COVID, although frankly it doesn't really rise to a significant level of concern for me, um, that it's also reasonable to just get one of these home tests and, and use it and um, be done with it that way if it's too burdensome to get, you know, to the OptumServe testing center. The, the people that need to be tested or need to be evaluated are people that are getting, you know, more persistent symptoms. And what I've been seeing have we now seen a lot of the Delta um, is it's a little bit different than the first iterations of COVID. We're seeing primarily people who are presenting with fevers and shortness of breath, sure, but also a fair amount of chest pain. Um, a lot of people are just developing chest pain that is really quite uncomfortable, particularly amongst younger people. Um, so I've, you know, this past week or two, I've seen many, many people um, who have been febrile complaining of shortness of breath with normal vital signs, um, complaining primarily of chest pain, and sure enough, they're COVID. It didn't take me too long to start realizing that that's what it was every single time, really without fail. Yes, there are other uh, manifestations, and as we've learned from this year and a half, um, COVID is fairly protean in its uh, presentation. Dizziness can be it, headache can be it, you know, GI symptoms certainly, rashes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But the big three right now are shortness of breath, fevers either real or subjective and chest pain okay all right thank you sure all right glad you called thanks hello caller you are live on the air hello hello is this a call in you are you're live on the air go ahead oh okay um i work at the hospital and i just left the hospital after having a long discussion with one of the patients that was discharged who is healthy relatively except for the syndrome and it was just so frustrating to deal with this individual who said that they would not get the vaccine they kept it was just one after another you know denial in terms of whatever uh, science i could present to the individual and i just you know i'm mostly expressing my you know frustration which i'm sure many people have at this point and it's just you know the healthy individual but does have a condition that warrants uh you know having the vaccine nothing could nothing could convince this individual (laughs) yeah it's and i believe me i I know your experience and i i feel your frustration i i too have experienced sort of the shifting um rationale for not getting vaccinated so it it feels like whack-a-mole at times when you have a discussion with somebody who doesn't want to be vaccinated because they they will have one objection and i'll sort of tease that out and then another objection will be thrown up and i'll tease that out in a conversation and then a third objection will come up and it just the the basis is it becomes it becomes completely irrational frankly um because it is shifting so wildly um that as a provider it's it's hard to tie it off um and it sounds it sounds like that's what happened with you today i 
you know, my my capacity to have those conversations <laughs> is somewhat limited when I'm at work because I'm pretty busy even without COVID. Um, I try to make time for it, but boy, I try to not internalize my frustration because that doesn't help the recipient of my advice, and it really comes through in you know my tone and messaging um, if I if I get angry or frustrated with with where the conversation's going. But it's it's certainly prevalent. Yeah. Um, it's certainly prevalent and you know i i take some solace in thinking that these continued conversations will eventually move the needle um whether it's 130 vaccines in this county a day or whether it's slightly more um you know that that is some slow progress not nearly as fast as delta requires us but you know that's kind of where we are at this point yeah so it's just, you know, plugging along, and, you know, now everyone is required. If they're going to have a procedure at the hospital, they have to get tested Yes. within 72 hours, which is, at least that helped somewhat. Yes, yes. But, and, but we also had to cancel because our hospital was so overwhelmed. You know, we had, right. to, we had to cancel elective procedures again, which really affects, you oh, know, yeah. uh, ongoing, you know, health maintenance for the entire county. Um, you know, things, yeah. things like colonoscopies and elective surgeries all had to be canceled um because we didn't have any room in case they needed a bed in the hospital something were to happen to go wrong with these elective things yeah and so many of the nurses that work in my department obviously outpatient um procedures um they're you know just to to staff the supposedly flex area in the new in the old you know, you're going to get some nurses in there, you know, but, you know, we're just spreading ourselves thinner and thinner. And I don't think people realize that, but, you yeah. know, we're, we're trying to give them as much good care as we can. Well, when, when we are having to, you know, up staff um, with limited um, health care resources, it, it starts to have an effect. And I think you know, there's also some component of provider fatigue that we're all dealing with. I mean, there's there's an excellent team. I mean, I, I only work at one hospital in the county, but, you know, the, the group of providers, you know, from the from the um, housekeeping all the way up through the, you know, through the nursing and, you know, security, everybody is sort of in this boat together. Now, it has become a bit more fraught uh, with this vaccine requirement, um, which, you know, I don't know if you've been experiencing, but that that's a reality that's coming down the pike very quickly uh, for everybody who's working in healthcare in the state of California. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's already had its effect. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, but anyway, keep it up. I mean, we can all, all we can do is what we can do. <laughs> well, thank you. Hang in there. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And I, I'm willing to bet that even after the immediate conversation is over, the arguments that you guys are making to people, people are thinking about them and reflecting on them. So you may change minds, maybe not in the moment, but give them a chance. I usually tell people when I offer a vaccine to somebody in the ER, um, I will offer to them i will have a very brief discussion as to why they should get it and then i will ask them to not give me their answer um and then come back 20 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes or unfortunately sometimes two hours and 20 minutes later and you know continue the conversation while they have molded over and that i have found actually provides the highest success rate um in terms of getting people to uh, accept a vaccine offer Smart. Yeah, you know, I went to school. (laughs) A couple times. Um, All right, we've got about four minutes left. Let's take one last call, and we'll have to make it quick. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. 
Yeah, I just want to say that previous caller said we should deny care and jack up insurance rates to those who are unvaccinated. I hope everyone heard that and reflects on how inhumane and brutal that is. And I thank you guys for the show, but that was an awful, awful thing to say. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to hammer the point too hard, but, you know, I, it's not going to happen. Um, and, you know, insurance rates are going to go up, unfortunately. That's what they do every single year. One thing that we've all experienced, or most of us have experienced, is the notion of free health care in the form of these vaccines. Nobody's paying for the vaccine. and That's where it should be. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a you get a little taste of what a nationalized single payer healthcare system would function like, and we could do away with all this copay insurance stuff and actually focus on delivering care. You know, my small private group of doctors would not need a billing office. Imagine that. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. And if we can reflect on everything that's happened with this this virus and the vaccine rollout, there's a lot of things we can learn, and uh, hopefully, free healthcare is one of them. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. We just need to keep pushing for it. Well, thank you very much. Yep. All right. Thanks for the comment. Um, I think that's going to do it. I don't think we have time for another call. We've got about three How yep, we can squeeze, You want to squeeze one in? It's squeeze. always a mistake All to right, try to squeeze call one in. too far. So, <laughs> it's like a bridge over River I'm, Kwai. Yeah. I'm finally learning. I'm yeah. learning. Yeah. So um, let's leave the last three minutes for you if you've got anything else you want to wrap up with. Well, you know, I, I think they are fraught times. I mean, you you sounded the alarm at the, at the top of the hour, um, and it is bad, but things are starting to look better. And I, I say that only with, you know, a few days of things improving. They could certainly tilt the wrong way again very quickly. Um, but... Yeah, you know, we will adapt. Um, you know, the healthcare system is fairly plastic, and the and the concerns of overwhelming ventilatory capacity in this county that we had a year and a half ago, we're just not going to get there any longer. That's not going to happen. Um, and the concerns around flattening the curve, um, you know, really don't. Um, carry much water any longer what is happening is that people are still dying from covid and they are entirely preventable deaths Um, we know the vaccine is extremely effective and there are still a few number of people that are dying on a weekly basis in this county which is you know tragic and it reflects um, not just the failures of the last year and a half but it reflects the failures of the educational system and the healthcare system in this country and the failure to have some sort of organized coherent governance around this um, that people are paying for it with their lives quite literally Um, but you know that's that's the American way we've been paying for mistakes for well since the get-go right well and some people paying more more than, than others, others but that is always the way it works right it's the it's the it's the marginalized and the you know the poor that are getting covid and getting hospitalized with covid you know at a disproportionate um rate and that's you know playing forward in you know not only covid but in americans foreign wars etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so it's just you know this is par for the course early on we talked about covid being the um you know the great magnifier or the the uh, the illuminator and mm-hmm. it still is it is really laying bear every shortcoming that we have not addressed over the course of the last half century, particularly around healthcare. Right, it's showing us things that we we know, but it's showing them in in much more stark relief and in unignorable ways. So, um, well, that's going to do it for today's local coronavirus update. We will be back next Monday at 3 o'clock. Alas. (laughs) We're going to navigate through this Delta variant before we're getting ready to to take another break, I suppose. Uh, This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Thanks, Drew. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, callers. Be safe. Be safe. We'll see you next week.
This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.